So, this is uh, Entrepreneur Class at SUNY SCCC. Do you guys know about the new branding for SUNY SCCC? They made a big deal about it. So, um, no, it's called SUNY Schenectady. Right, thank okay. you. You're like, he's got it wrong. So, I missed that. Yeah, they just announced it. I mean, it's been kind of, it's been a slow rollout, but then they made a big news announcement, a news announcement about it on Monday or Tuesday. I think everybody realized like the SCCC, it was kind of like how many seats am I, the, I lose track. Did I say enough seats? Yeah, it's not that hard. What? What's that? 23 seats, it's not that hard. It, so, yeah, okay. So, the problem is that the second seat doesn't make sense. Schenectady County. Oh, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. See, there, you just proved the point of why going SUNY Schenectady makes a lot more sense. Although then you got to know how to spell Schenectady, but that's another whole issue. So, Hylop Samuel. Um, has a very interesting background in business and um, did not get into it as an entrepreneur initially, right? Working for a big giant company, or did you have an entrepreneurial background as a kid? Uh, I, I, so, I mean, tell me a little bit about yourself for starters. So, it's, it's a, I think, a unique perspective on it. So, I grew up in South Carolina um, in a rural area. My grandfather was a farmer, um, and he had a saying to me and my brothers always that. You know, never be without work. He said, if you can't find work, you make work. He said, Excellent. He said, look around. That's a good quote. Right he there. said, he said, there's work everywhere. He was like, as long as you're not too prideful, you can always make money. So I've always carried that with me um, throughout my life. Um, so when I started, so I went to college in North Carolina. I graduated in 1995 and moved to Boston. Started my career there. Um, and, uh, what was your major? Do you mind me asking? Computer science. Computer science. So I was a computer science major. What brought you to Boston? And, and the only reason, I mean. Computer science was just, I was being opportunistic. I had a cousin who went to the same college, and he was, he was interning for IBM. Good job, Connor. <laughs> he was interning for IBM, and back then, so you're talking 1992, we were having this conversation, and he was telling me that he was being paid $16 an hour. I was like, $16 an hour? And he was a computer science major, so I chose computer science. Um, I don't think I've ever had a real, pa I didn't have a real passion for it back then. It was more about the opportunity to make you know, some money right out of college. Um, so from day one, I always felt like, you know, I wanted to do my own thing. Um, but, you know, you get a lot of naysayers when you're young. You know, people try to discourage you from following your ideas. So you get stuck sometimes in, in areas that you don't really enjoy. Um, so, you know, life happened. I was a consultant. I worked for, it's called Accenture now. Back then it was Anderson Consulting. Um, so for seven years I worked for you know, consulting firms traveling around the country, flying out on Monday morning, coming home on Thursday evening, um, spent some time in Europe consulting. Um, so and when you say consulting, so what are you doing exactly? So, so, so I worked for the, you know, back then it was like Big Five, I think. So Anderson was one, I think, the top. So I was doing, I was a computer science major. So I was flying out to client sites, and we were installing various software packages. Okay. Um, you know, and and I, you know, I've been through the entire evolution. First, it was ERP. Um, it was big, then they went into uh, CRM, um, and around the same time Y2K was happening, so there was a lot of opportunity. Um, and, and around the same time, that's when you saw a lot of influx of, of foreigners coming into the country because, um, as it is today, there was always a labor shortage in the computer science space. Um, so opportunities just, start, just started coming from everywhere. And then when the dot-com era happened, that's when you know it really hit me, and I wanted to start doing my own thing. So. Tried several things on my own, you know, nothing ever succeeded. Then I got married, I moved to the Albany area in 2002, um, went to SUNY, 
I got my MBA. So you came here for specifically for college? No, 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 no. When I came here, you know, I got married and I didn't want to travel anymore. So I took a job at the time with a company called Transworld Entertainment Corporation. Mm -hmm. They own those FYE stores yeah. um, in the mall. So I did that for three years. Um, what was your role there? I, I was a systems analyst and a project manager there, okay. um, you know, doing database work. So then I went to SUNY and got the MBA and I got the itch again to really want to do my own thing. Tried to start uh, a web business with a couple of the classmates there, but it failed. Um, it, it didn't go anywhere. And then I got a unique call one day. I don't know how this guy got my, my name, this guy named Dwight Chu. Um, and there was a startup in Albany called Amiki. And they were doing something I'd never heard of before uh, called e-discovery. Um, and so, so if you have a legal background, you know discovery is the, is, the, is the act of sharing with opposing counsel everything that you've discovered in the case. So, you know, all the evidence has to be shared with the other side. You know, in, in the movies you would see, they have these big boxes of paper <laughs> and they have to make sure they give the opposing counsel, you know, the same thing that they have. So we're in an electronic age. So nowadays, especially, most of the corporate litigations are around, you know, automobiles, uh, insurance, and finance. So and most of the documents that you're talking about that need to be identified are electronic, you know, mostly spreadsheets and, and Word documents and email because email implicates a lot of people and a lot of, you know, corporate crimes. So that company was doing that. Um, it was interesting. It was very intense, but it was a startup environment. So I, I came in there in 2005. By the end of 2006, I was running a team of two, 150 people, 365 days a year, 24-7. So I had a hockey stick. You know, changed my career just you by know what that means hockey stick. We all know it, but do you guys know what hockey stick means? You go this way and then you go down. No, no, you're going no, like, the so other way around. Your career's like this, and then it just takes off, right? Oh, uh, that's so, again, so yeah, sorry, 33 years old. Now I'm a director at you know Xerox Purchase Amiki. So I, I forgot to Xerox Purchase Amiki, and when Xerox came in, I became the director of that operation. Um, we started the operation, it was when Xerox bought it, it was doing around 28 million dollars a year. Um, when I left, it was doing 100 million dollars a year. Um, so, I get bored easily. So even though <laughs> I was very successful there um, and things were going well, I got the itch again, you know. And one of my business partners, I met him there. He actually was my employee, Patrick Gray. He's uh, one of your employees. Alan was too. I didn't realize. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you always learn something. And then Adam was our boss. Was my boss. Really? Yes. Wow. Right. So, okay. so, so. Four of us, and then Walter worked for us as well. So m many of us came from that company. So, but in 2011, um, Pat told me that, hey, I got this great idea, um, and I think I can go raise some money. Um, and it was for a website to compete against Craigslist, and we called it movethatblock.com. Um, we used to have advertisements, you know, we wasted the money, it, it wasn't successful. What was it called? Movethatblock.com. Um, and yeah, I, 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 like, I, move that bus? That move that. We never really, the name, the name never made a lot of sense to me, you know, um, probably one of the reasons we weren't success, su successful. Um, it was also the first time that, you know, we were, we were doing anything on our own. So Pat was able to raise a million dollars and we thought we had all this money, right? So we thought we were set. So we went out and we spent too much on the developers, you know, spent 300000 of that million dollars on the website development, which is absolutely wow. ridiculous. Yeah. Wow. I couldn't convince uh, Pat at the time that we should offshore the work. He thought we needed to have someone here. So we blew through that. We sponsored a race in New Hampshire, an indie car race. That was $250,000. So on day one, almost on day one, we were already out of money. So in 10 months, we, the company was done. Um, 
So I had to go back to work, as I say. So at that time... How I, did your wife handle that? Um, <laughs> my wife, so... I think it's really important in a you know, marriage. You got Your wife's part of the entrepreneurial experience, whether she likes it or not. So, so the thing with her is I've always taken care of everything, right? So even during those times, she didn't have to worry about... Even though I was worried about it, she didn't have to worry about it. So you I always didn't tell I, her everything. I, 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 I don't talk about. That's just me. I don't talk about work with private. my wife okay. because you know she has her own things to deal with, and work can be pretty stressful. So I try to keep that separate. Okay. Right. So it went. You know, it was tough sometimes, but you know we got through that, and I went back to work. And the irony of all this is going to come around. So I, there's a colleague of mine named Jason Russell, and I heard when moved that block went under. I heard that there was a company from California that was trying to build a presence on the East Coast. And that company was called Acela Inc. They do government software solutions. Um, so I called Jason up. He said, yeah, you know, kind of look for some people to lead the team here. Um, you don't really have to have a lot of experience in it, you know, as long as you know how to do some good project management and, and interact with the customer. So I went and I joined Acela. And I worked there, I learned the product. Uh, I was pretty slick. I was, I, you know, slick, I was fine with working there. You know, the hours are flexible. The, comp the headquarters was in California, so I worked from home. Um, our clients were the state agencies here, um, the state education department, agriculture and markets, uh, department of state, um, and DC. Um, so you're traveling to all those various state agencies and working, so it was, it was kind of nice. It was a, I was happy to be back working, making money, and doing something productive. Um, two years into it, a friend of mine that I worked with a long time ago who knew I was a big operations guy at Xerox, was over at GE. And he said, man, I got this great job for you. So I said, man, Carl, I'm not really looking to leave. He said, well, just take a look at it. So he sent, he sent me over the job description. And I was sitting there with my, my colleague, who also knew me from uh, uh, Xerox. And he read, he said, yep, man, this sounds like you. So I said, OK, why not? So I left a, a, a seller, and I, went, I worked with GE for two years. While I was at GE, my business partner, Pat, he had moved on, and he started another, well, it was a subsidiary of a business in Illinois called Lead IT, and they were doing purely staffing. Um, you know what staffing means? Uh, staff, staff, staff augmentation. So when, when you need to uh, beef up your staff pretty quickly, you know, you can go out and, you know, bring on consultants, or you can have staff, you it's know. It's like temporary workers. Yeah, temporary, yeah. It's all like okay. a staff agent. Right. Like a staff agent, exactly. Yeah. And they were pretty successful at it. I mean, they built a... Uh, a business of about $5 million in a couple of years. But staffing, the margins are very small. So even though they're making $5 million, their take home wasn't, you know, wasn't really that That's great. a good point. Can I stop real quick on that? So when you hear a company made $5 million, a lot of times it's not, that's not profit. That's like what the revenue was. But like he said, your margins are small. So say you get, you know, you get to take home $1 every, every $10 that you bring in or something like that. Then you're obviously, you're not a $5 million company really. You're a $500,000. Yeah, pro yeah, profit. Yeah, so um, so I was looking to outsource some um, database work, and uh, Suman, who was the other uh, guy in this equation, um, came and he said, "Hey, you know, I got a, a strong team offshore, and I think we can do it." So I said, "Well, you know, it's GE, so I got to put it out to bid, but you guys can come present to the team, and if you get to do a pretty good presentation, you can get the work." So long story short, they got the work, um, and that's when I started to get to, get to know Saman a little bit better. So we would meet on a regular basis, and Pat was all, you know, a friend and a colleague for, for, a while, for a while. So we started talking, and I started listening to what they were talking about, and then they started talking about a seller, that company I work for. There's a lot of work in a seller. You know, a seller needs partners. Then the itch happened again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and everybody, so when I left Xerox, people thought I was insane. 
And when I left GE, people thought, man, you just lost your mind. You know, but that's me. So Simone and Pat officially started the company in July. Um, I joined. July of 2015. I joined as a, a partner um, as CEO in November. Alan joined two weeks after me as a CTO. Um, Chief Technology Officer. And we've been on an incredible ride. You know, sorry. That's all right. So it's been an incredible ride. So, so I worked for a seller. I told you guys when I when, we, when my first company failed. Now, that's what we do. We implement a seller software, and we have clients all over the country. Um, we've had incredible growth since 2015, um, 100% every year, um, and the business is just growing. Um, it's one of the reasons why you know, we want to move to downtown Albany. I, I live in Schenectady. I love Schenectady. I would love to stay in Schenectady. I'd love you to stay in Schenectady. But I'm the only person in the office that wants to stay in Schenectady. Um, it's, a, it's a long commute for a lot of folks in the office. And, you know, I don't know. The arguments on that end, I, I still think we can be successful here, but the guys feel like Albany is a better place. So you needed more space, too, it sounds like. More space. Um, when you guys moved in, you, were, you weren't part of the first movement, I don't think. I right? was. Oh, you were. So how many people did you have at that time? It was like eight? And I was like six or seven of us at And now time. you have how many there? So, it's, uh, so we have 20 people on, on payroll, and then we have about 10 contractors. And we, right. just, we, just, we just signed up uh, four interns. So it's a pretty... A pretty uh, so that's what you want. I mean, uh, one of my students asked about, you know, what are the benefits of being in an accelerator? But just on my end, our goal is to help companies grow and move, really. So it sounds funny, but just like when we raised our kids, I don't want my kids staying in my house when they're 40. You know, we want them to grow. So was there some benefits to being in an accelerator? But, 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 the, but the beautiful thing about the biz lab is it's an accelerator but you still feel like you have your own, you know, a lot of accelerators, the space is shared, you know. You know, three or four companies are sitting in the same room. At the Biz Lab, you have your own office space. So it's professional, and when you got clients coming in, they don't think, okay, these guys are just starting off the bus here. Right. So right. you look established. And we were established, like I said, that business that Pat and Suman started, we brought that into SQ. So that's another reason I was more comfortable leaving, because we already had two and a half million dollars of revenue coming in. Yeah. So it was a little easier this time. There's some themes that, I mean, I don't want to cut you off, there's anything you want to say? There's a couple of themes I've started to see already. Has anyone seen anything that, you know, Josiah? Networking. Networking, that was one of my first ones. So. These are people he knows from different parts of his life. They stayed in touch with each other. You know, they believed in each other. They even had a failure together. And that's okay, right? Yeah. You do pivot. We talked about that. That, you know, and even that the capital region is not, um, is getting a little more like, it's okay to have a failure. No, 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 it's not okay. It's absolutely necessary. It's necessary. I mean, there's, it's impossible to grow without failing. You know, it's just like, you know, you know when you, you work out. You break your muscles down, they come back stronger. Ooh, so good. when you when you fail, you learn from your mistakes. If you if you're smart, I mean, there's some people who continue to fail at the same thing. But if you're smart, you're gonna learn from your mistakes and you're gonna be better. Um, and and your confidence grows from failure. First time you feel bad, you're embarrassed. Next time you feel bad and you're embarrassed, then you start feeling like you know what? I'm mad enough to take this chance. So I'm not embarrassed about this failure. Right. You know, I'm different. And you're going to see most people that you find who are extremely successful have failed many times. And they're okay. They're it's, all they're part okay of your, it. it's also like part of your encyclopedia now, right? You have all this experience in your head. You're, you're wiser. So you're a little more gray. You know, That's messy. So, <laughs> so, you know, that goes into some of your decision making now. Like you said before, we would never, the, the race car sponsorship. Like, whoa. I mean, it's the most ridiculous thing ever. Right. $250,000, you know, in the car race. And we thought at the time, oh, man, we're going to get all these website hits. 
who watches IndyCar? You know, right. no one. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Now, when you came in, you were chief operating officer. So can you tell them well, what is, what's a chief operating officer? So the, the COO is basically the person that runs the delivery of the company. So, so right now when we go out and we have a contract, let's say, you know, Pasco County in Florida to implement uh, the seller software, his role is to make sure that his team, all those consultants that work for us, are delivering the way they're supposed to deliver. His role is also to make sure that we're getting the, the, the most efficiency out of our consultants so our profit margins can go up. Um, and he works very closely with the CEO on running the company um, and, and, and making sure that he's following the strategy of the company, you know, the CEO's strategy. So, you know, you're really running the company when you're CEO. I mean, running the day-to-day. COO. <laughs> COO, sorry. Right. And the CEO is kind of like going out, and it's almost like a salesman, helping to build the business, you know, going after those relationships. You know, and vision casting too a little bit. Yeah, looking at okay, what are we gonna do? You know, if it's you know, we try to forecast. So, is the seller gonna be the leader in the space in five years? If not, we need to start trying to diversify. And if we diversify, do we want to diversify with the software that's competing against the seller? Because that may hurt our business because they may not like it, so we may not get as much work. So, what should we do? So that's what I think about as a CEO, and also how to minimize. So the most, the, the biggest cost. For any company, is it the people, right? So you got to try to figure out where to minimize the employee costs, um, so that your profit margins can go up. But at the same time, you know you need people. It's a, it's a very, you know, it's a catch twenty two. Without people, you can't make money. But boy, it's such a heavy burden to have so many people on payroll. That, that's the one thing that you people don't always think about. I mean, when you're just a few guys starting a business, that's one thing. But when now all of a sudden you bring in somebody. Now you're bringing in a family. That's how Tony thinks about it. You're, you're responsible for a family. So that's, that's the exact way I think about it. So, you know, when, so Adam now, you know, he likes, to, he likes to hire. So my thing is, I tell him, I say, Adam, I like to be, I'm a little bit more risk averse to it because we can't have a layoff. Because our business, if we have a layoff, we're going to go out of business because everyone's going to scatter, right? Because we're already a small company. So people already have a little reservation about working for a smaller company because of that. So if you lay off anyone, then you can have a mass exodus. Very so, good. but how can we do? How can we grow the business without hiring people? So it's one of those things that you got to be very careful and have to, you know, you're gonna make mistakes sometimes, but try to find that right formula right. on when to bring people in and when not. That's good. So, um, Hylop got promoted. Was it last year? Or was yeah, it March. Yeah, last March. March. Um, from uh, COO to then he became CEO because there were some changes. Your um, your CEO. There was like a, well, we don't need to get into that, but it was kind of like a, a, a split off, right? He started another. So, no, no, so, 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 the, so what happened is so, uh, Saman, you know, he was, a, Saman has actually spent, he, he started another company. Um, so he took the staffing business because he wanted to do staffing. We wanted to focus on e licensing. So, but back when he started talking to me about it, he was a CEO, and I was like, man, it doesn't make sense. You know, but eventually him and Pat convinced me. We were all partners, like Samar was the majority owner, Pat next, and then, you know, me and Alan followed those guys. So we were all partners anyway, but the roles, who was going to do what? And actually, you know, Saman, you know, I got to give him credit. It was a good move. The business grew because of the move. Um, but then, you know, as we started growing, you know, you started having those differences in, okay, which direction should we go? You know, we thought staffing was, you know, because the margins are so low and so so much overhead, like we shouldn't do it. So I wanted to do it. So he started a company out in Clifton Park that's called Stack Nexus, um, and he just uh, he just started a, a branch in Dubai as well, Stack right. Nexus Dubai. So how do you like the role? How different was that role of CEO versus COO? So, 
a lot of the same responsibilities are there. Um, the thing that I had a hard time with in the beginning is worrying about those families, right? You know, making sure that we're going to be be around so, so so that our employees can support their families. Worrying about the finances. I never did that before. Simone did all that. So when when I moved into the CEO role, now I had to start worrying about those things. I mean, and it's some of the things that you never stop worrying about. Like I sleep a lot less nowadays. You know, I used to get a good seven hours of sleep. Now I sleep about four hours a night because I'm always thinking about these things. Um, but that comes with the position. You know, it's it's a tough position to be in, and, and there's no one else above, so the buck stops with you. So any failure ultimately is blamed on the CEO. Right, right. So it's, it's tough. That's um, but you had already had some experience under your belt that you felt confident to move into that. Well, role. I knew I could run the delivery, um, but I had to learn how to understand, you know, how to make the right decisions for the company. I mean, I can deliver on any project, but making the right decisions for a company is something I had to learn over the year. That's great. Some questions, thoughts? Yes, Sam? Um, so far, what has, has been, like, the most difficult task? I think, so it goes, back to, it goes back to knowing when to bring on employees. So right now, we're, I mean, we're buried. I mean, we have so much work and not enough skilled people to do it, but, you know, we just hired... Like I said, we brought on four interns and we hired three people to the staff and brought on two contractors. It's still not enough, but I'm not willing to take the risk on bringing on any more people. It's, it's, that's the most difficult thing, trying to figure out when it makes sense to bring on someone else. Because here's the thing, so we do have, so Julie is our uh, salesperson. She's doing a great job, but in a business like this, you could do $7 million this year and zero the next year. So it's very, very no risky. Guarantees. You know what I mean? I was going to ask you, are there ebbs and flows in this business too or no? So, so the ebbs and flows are seasonal. So every, yes, okay. every summer we're sitting around the, the table saying, oh, man, what's going to happen, man? And then every fall the work starts flowing in. And then we're, you know, so that's why busy. you bring in somebody during the busy season and all of a sudden it's quiet and what are they doing? And then they're, they're costing right. you, but they're not really performing. So you, that's the other thing, point I want to <coughs> make is, you know, you got to have a good salesperson. Either it's you or someone else, because without sales, there, there's no business. Um, and then you got to have somebody who's managing those accounts, because what happens in this type of business, and probably every business is, whenever you try to get a new client, they're going to call everybody that, that, that you're currently supporting, right? How are these guys doing? What kind of work do they do? What's their customer service like? You know, what's their quality like? And if you don't got, you know, customers that give you good references, you're going to be out of business in a year also. So it's, uh, it's a lot of, lot, of, lot of moving pieces to make sure that the business continues to be successful. I've heard about like some companies that, I'll say are competitors, who will do anything they can to get your business, but they don't do everything they can to keep your business. Yeah, I mean, so, so I'll, another one I was saying that uh, SQ to our clients is, so go live is when you go, the term go live is when you move into production. So we say when we go live, we don't go away. So we're still here. So even after the warranty period is over, if you need any help, give us a call and we give, you know, we do, we do those favors all the time. And I'm like, okay, it took us one hour, two hours. We're not, we're not gonna try to get you know, paid for that. But we get paid for it in the long run. When the next opportunity comes around, they look to ask you to do the work. That's right. It's that relationship building. We talked a lot about that as well. Uh, ben? Um, you said you plan on moving to Albany. Did you like pick out a specific location? Or yeah, so, so uh, right across from the Times Union Center, there is a street called Bieber Street. So we're going to be at 40 Beaver Street on the fifth floor. You have like how many square feet over there? Uh, 7,000 square feet. That's big. And we, so, so my, I'm going to miss you guys, though, I will so, say. So my business partner, um, Patrick, he has another company in the cryptocurrency space called Hashchain. So we're going to share it with them. They're going to have one side. We're going to have the other side. So 
We probably have about thirty. If you look up Hash Chain, you'll see that they've had a skyrocket. It's a public company, right? They right. raised fourteen million or more. No, Hash Chain raised thirty-two million. Thirty-two million. Right. Okay. Um, Bethany, did you have your hand up? Yes. Um, so with like jumping around between jobs and stuff, did it make it harder for somebody to like trust your professionalism because you only stay with jobs for so much time and then you move on to the next thing? So, one of the interesting things in the IT space is that's commonplace right so it, it's sort of no one looks in the beginning when I first started out I'm 45 you know you would have those questions hey you were only here for two years what happened now in the IT space no one asks those questions um, so that's why I think I've been okay because I've been in the IT in the IT space other spaces other jobs are still like that okay you're jumping around what's the red flag here um, but in the IT space you, you sort of get away with it that's good Good perspective. So, if like it was a different type of field, do you think it would be more negative? But because it's IT, that it's, it, it's sort of uh, it's because of that labor shortage I told you about, right? It's mm -hmm. always in IT. It's so difficult to find good people. So, if you could, if you if you can convince the people that are trying to hire you that you're good, you know they take that chance. And you're you not know? just bouncing around, right? But good. But but for every other career, every you know you still have to make sure that you think about making those moves because. You know, when you're looking at resumes and you see that, you're like, okay, either this person isn't good or, you know, they have, you know, some sort of personal issue. Well, how much does it cost? On, they call it onboarding. Right. When you bring somebody on, it's like the expression is onboarding. So it takes time. You train somebody. You know, TransFinder, our software, is pretty complicated. You train somebody on how to either support it or sell it, and then they're gone in six months. That's like, law. it's really a loss. It's a revenue. How long, I mean, how much time does it take for you to bring on somebody? In a I mean, it, I mean, for us, because we're in a niche area as well, it's very difficult. It takes a long time. And then there's a, a, a big learning curve, right? So it takes about a year before somebody is really proficient in the seller software package. Um, you can be productive in three months, but it takes about a year before. There are some companies, I don't know if your company is like this, where what they call it touching, like we won't let a, or interface, a, a new employee interface with a client so we call it, so because they're going to look you you're representing that company so if all of a sudden somebody calls from transfinder calls one of our districts or a prospect and they don't know what they're talking about that reflects all of transfinder in that phone call and especially if it's a new new customer we always say new to new never works it's the it's the biggest new recipe new never works. for disaster good you know so if we get a new client we want we want to make sure we have a seasoned employee that we can trust and know what they're going to deliver Josiah did I see you had a hand up Oh, yeah. I had a question. I think it's kind of dumb, though. Uh, your problem... Josiah just lets it, just let it, lets it all hang out. So. <laughs> your, your issue that you were having with being scared to hire more people, but you have so much work, uh, would that, like, be good to maybe uh, use temps for that? But, like, so, you just so we do. With the training so, me, so remember I mentioned that we have 10 contractors? That's how I mitigate that. So a contractor's so, a temp. Okay. Right. They're for a project. You right. may hire them for a project, right. right? Yeah, so we you know, we burst up and we can burst yeah, down. Just for how long you need. Right. And and you know, and it's typically a long time, but yeah. you can burst up and burst down pretty quickly. It's kinda like um like uh, Amazon services. You can like, you know, in terms of Right, like, turn it off and turn it on as you need it, right? Do you ever end up like hiring people that are good? Do they stay with the company? Um so work for a while? So our first intern well not first intern, our first successful intern was from SUNY Albany, Zach. He's one of the superstars over there. He was with us for two years as an intern, and we hired him right out of college this past May. Well, that's good. Um, the contractors, we have not hired any contractor. Most of the contractors that we deal with like being contractors. There's flexibility. They work remotely, right? Right. Kind of. um, the ben? former CEO, or CEO, CEO. CEO of your company, 
he started a hiring business, do you use the people, do you use his company for your company? Um, no, but we still, so I just met with him the other day. We still look at opportunities to work together, but the kind of staffing that he does is not the kind of work that we do. So he's, he's staffing Java developers, uh, PHP developers, you know, DBAs. We have a very specific um, skill set. DBA? Database administrator. Okay. I'm never afraid to ask questions. I hope you guys get to that point where it's okay to ask a question because you start interviewing really smart people. I used to cover nanotechnology when I was a reporter, and I did not know. I would, I would always have to say, like, can you put that in layman's terms? And then they would say, well, still over my head, I go, can you put that in layman's terms? <laughs> and everybody about four or five times, they go, oh, okay, it's really small. Got it. That's what nano is. Okay, somebody else. Maybe somebody who hasn't spoken today. Yes? Do you feel like you have the edge again? Oh, uh, breaking news story. <laughs> no, see, uh, I'm very new into the CEO role, so there's a lot more growing to do, right? So, but my timeline is usually around three years. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is this, though. Do you feel like you're in a position now that affords you the opportunity that you could still be CEO and still spin out something or do something so you could maybe juggle a couple of things? Yeah, so I, I'm already, so one of the beautiful things about being a CEO is you get a lot of other opportunities. So I sit on the board of a company called Mega a Blockchain, which is another cryptocurrency company that's dealing with identity. Um, I sit on the board over here at the Housing Authority. So you get a lot of other opportunity to, to broaden your horizons you know, when you're CEO of a company. Um, but for now, I think SQ is going to keep us busy for a while because I have some ideas on how we want to you know, expand and diversify the business. And I think it's going to take a couple of years to really see that you know, play out. Cryptocurrency like Bitcoin? Yes. Very good. Got time, I think, for maybe one more question. Evan, want to throw one out there? New guy, come on. Just one second. So on the board, you just get, you know, you advise. So you hire the CEO, you know, and then you advise the CEO and his team on, you know, what you think is the right direction, right? Now, for example, Mega Blockchain was looking to try to go public in the U.S., but the U.S. is very harsh when it comes to cryptocurrency companies. It's not as friendly as Canada. So a decision was made that instead of trying to, you know, appease the SEC here, you know, let's go to the Toronto Stock Exchange like Hashchain. It'll be easier to go public and, you know, raise money and just get things going that way. Great. Things don't always go according to plan. Ne things never go according to plan. <laughs> they never. But it's a beautiful, like I said, it, it, it evolves. When I think about SQ today, I would have never thought that we would be where we are, you know. So I like I like that, even though, and I don't like it at the same time. You right, know? right. Sorry, what was the question? No, no, I was telling him. Yeah. He said someone already stole his question. Yeah. Okay. I'm a little skeptical about it. That's all right. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, go ahead, Sam. Last question. Um. So, like, what's your big vision for SQ? Like, moving forward into the future. So, a couple of things. So, the the government space um, is still a very lucrative one to be in. Um, I want to diversify to other areas of government solutions. So what we do, we focus, we focus on the permitting side, licensing and permitting, um, and code enforcement. And I want to get more into the asset management side of things, um, fleet management, you know, roadway management. Mm -hmm. um, so over the next two to five years, that's what I, what, what I want to focus on. And then, as, you know, as this blockchain space matures, I want to see if there's a way to um, link 
that, that technology with the technology that we deliver to make it more secure. But in the short term, it's just diversifying into other areas of government solutions. Awesome. Let's give it up for Hilo. Thank you so much. I'm going to just.